welcome to Flyers AD here. Thursday, June 1, 2023 here. June has arrived. Stanley Cup final is upon us, and that means that the offseason and the draft and for agency and action is not too far away. Thank God, because it has been a quiet few weeks here, uh, both for the Flyers and really across the league. I feel like they're just rumors in general as far as movements and restricted free agency and all that stuff. It's been a very quiet, uh, very quiet horizon, Anthony. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cooled down here. Like I felt like the the playoffs started with a bang. And then all of a sudden, once you kind of got to that conference final and the quick sweep in the east on the eastern side of things, things really came to like a screeching halt. And look, we have some news coming in from more of the executive types of uh, from the executive type part of the business. You know, Brad Tree Living set to be introduced as a new GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs today. Kyle Dubas, a couple minutes ago, was just announced as the president of hockey ops with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Andrew Burnett, new coach down in Nashville. It seems like the New York Rangers are closing in on either John Hines or Peter Laviolette. But uh, as far as player movement goes, it has really been quiet. Yeah, I mean, outside of Alex DeBrincat, I don't know if there's a single notable... uh... Kind of trade target that seemingly bubbled up over the last little while. But boy, if I had a crystal ball looking in, you know, five years down the future between the Breer led Penguins and the Kyle Dubas led, uh, or uh, Breer led Flyers and Kyle Dubas led Penguins, because uh, that would have been my guy. Wait and see. He and uh, either he or Shiro. But, you know, we have Breer and uh, Jones who, after a few weeks to chew on all of this, uh, still not overly thrilled. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard to put a uh, like to pass a judgment yet just because nothing has really happened obviously we know that they are have been making changes behind the scenes to the uh, the player development staff so obviously that's something that has been a big talking point for the last several years obviously a part of the organization that could mm-hmm. could have stood to be improved and who knows if it will be improved, but they've certainly tackled that and zeroed in on it as something they want to um, they want to uh, really improve in the organization. But then aside from that, you have the roster that no real changes has have been made so far. You know, all the RFAs are still RFAs without contracts. You have, you know, some guys who are more likely to get traded than others, but no untouchables i think briere did a good job of kind of clarifying what he meant on wip i think that was clickbait that was ripped completely out of context and i don't think anything he said was wrong with carter hart i i think he just said we have to listen but i'm not fielding offers for him or i'm obviously i'm paraphrasing but uh no, I, I think that uh, so far it's been expectedly quiet, and I would imagine it starts to ramp up a bit as uh, we get closer to the NHL draft in a month's time. Yeah, and man, that heart thing just... <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I think he's the one guy that uh, I would not consider moving. Like, there's a price tag, obviously, but I don't think it's within the realm of reality for the Flyers. And, you know, I put a piece out yesterday 
looking at contract extensions, and I'm glad I did that because, man, goalies are not paid nearly as much as I thought they were going in. There's only three in the league right now making more than $6.5 Now, I do think that's going to change over the next few years with Sorokin and Shesterkin and Hellebuck and Hart all, you know, in need of new contracts over the next year or two. But right now, you know, as far as a contract extension goes for him, I was uh, surprised that uh, the money was not quite as bad. You know, I was expecting an eight year eight million to be a kind of normal thing here, but it really wasn't. So, you know, we'll see what that happens. Obviously, this is next summer's problem to begin with, with, with his uh, contract extension and RFA status. But, you know, as far as getting traded goes, I don't think he's, uh, I don't think he's going anywhere. This whole thing, you know, got ripped off as a uh, clickbait headline there from the Inquirer and everyone ran with it. And I don't know. Uh, yeah, I get it. You're rebuilding, but you really don't have any options beyond him. You know, you're 24 year old starting goaltender. Um, you have Urson, I guess, waiting in the wings, but too early to make that call. And uh, I don't know. Even by the standards of a rebuild, he would be uh, borderline untouchable as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and to be honest, I think that you know they are in a good position in terms of goaltending depth, you know, you have Sandstrom who I, I do think that they're still high on, which is good. Maybe not ever as a starter, but as a backup. And I think that they fe- felt that last year he played well in losing efforts a lot last season. And then you have Urson, who, I mean, I think showed a lot of promise, but I, from what I, and I'll defer to you on this, when he went back down to Lehigh in March, he kind of struggled right down the, down the stretch. He was borderline bad at the end of the season. And, you know, he played 57 total games between the Flyers, Phantoms, and the AHL playoffs, which is a lot considering he played five games the season before, only finished three of them. You know, he had underwent the, uh, I believe it was a groin problem, or hip problem, whatever it was. But, you know, injury, subsequent surgery, came back this year, played a lot of minutes. I'm sure he was exhausted. I'm sure he probably was banged up to some extent. You know, I, I, I don't think it was a knock on his play specifically, but he finished with a 900 save percentage in the AHL. He finished with an 899 save percentage in the NHL. You know, those are not numbers that are as good as they could or should be. Um, You know, we'll get a better look this year. Now that he's got that full season under his belt and adjusted to North American ice and got a taste of both AHL and NHL action, I think next season will be a much better um, litmus test as far as what you're getting with Urson. But uh, yeah, towards the end of the season, he was he was really struggling to to put decent efforts out there. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think he's showed promise, but the way that the Flyers kind of have set themselves up here is that they don't really have to make a hard decision on where they're going with the goaltending until next year. So, I mean, I don't know why they would rush into anything. Now, you know, if if Ottawa comes around and says, we'll give you, you know, Josh Norris and a first-round pick this year, well, then maybe, you know, you have to consider that, right? Yeah. Of course. But... I don't think this is a scenario where the Flyers have to rush into a decision. Like, I mean, let, let's be real here. Like, they, yeah, you could maybe benefit from signing Carter Hart long term this summer and let's say saving on the average annual value as opposed to, let's say, signing him this time next year. But I, I don't know how much he could do this upcoming season that would really increase his his contract value. And who knows if you really want to get locked into a big-time contract like that, or long-term, rather. Like, I think one of the the biggest faults under Chuck Fletcher was that he would rush into long-term deals. And even though a lot of the average annual values aren't terrible, like Farabee at $5 million or Sanheim at 6.25, the, the cap hits aren't bad, and I'm sure that they'll 
age fine, but it just it doesn't make sense, especially given where the Flyers are at organizationally, to rush into longer-term deals. And in the case of Carter Hart, not to say that he's expendable by any means. Obviously, he is far and away the best goalie that they have. And at times, I think, has proven to be an upper echelon goaltender. But I do think that they've alleviated themselves, at least in the goaltending position, that they couldn't wait it out another calendar year here. And I just don't see the need in rushing into anything. No, they don't have to make decisions. Um, they're not nearly as deep as they were at the position you know, compared to a few years ago. I mean, Ustamenko's gone. Fedotov probably is never coming over. That would probably throw the fate of Kosolov, um, you know, in in the mix there as well, considering he's a Belarusian-born KHL player. Um, but you still have three very good players right now. I'm curious what happens with Urson next season. I think theoretically you want him to start getting NHL minutes, but it always begs the question of, is this guy going to play behind Hart and only play once every two weeks? Or is it better to keep him in the AHL and let him see three or four starts a week, you know, than it would be to let him rot as a backup in the NHL? And obviously, could they get Sonstrom then through waivers still to the AHL? Um, I like Sonstrom. I think he's a perfectly fine backup goaltender. I, I, I liked his playing style. I like what he brings to the table. I think you just saw the difference between a very good Carter Hart, a really good Sam Erson versus a... Man. normal, average Felix Sandstrom behind whatever the fuck the Flyers were doing last season, right? So I'll be interested to see how that uh, battle shakes out during training camp there, but I would not be opposed to Urson spending another season, you know, primarily in the AHL if it means him getting more playing time and he can figure his shit out and then be more prepared uh, for a potential backup role or starter role or whatever the case is in 2025. Yep, no, exactly. Like, I mean... I think what Sandstrom has done here is maybe unfortunately for him because, well, I guess he's not young anymore. He's 26 years old. But, I mean, he's given them... He's 23, them... isn't he? No, Sandstrom is at 26. What? I think Urson is 23. Oh, yeah, Urson's 23. I got him backwards. You're right. Yeah, so Sandstrom, you know, he, he's... Not to say that he's old here, but, like, you can't... Like, you may be getting to a point with Felix Sandstrom where, like, he is what he is. And I do think he caught way too much flack last season. I Like, he kind of just became, like, a, a, a guy that everyone started shitting on for no reason. But if he just proves to be a decent backup, like, that's not the end of the world here. And, like, like to be honest, I think that one way or another, it's probably going to be Hart or Urson in 2024-2025. Like, I fail, like, maybe there's a path where you keep both of them and they're your two goalies, but... I almost feel like the ideal situation would be Sandstrom stays as your backup beyond this season, and then you decide on Hart or Urson moving forward, whether it, whichever one you tried to pick, because I think either of those two guys would net you more in a trade as opposed to, let's say, re-signing both and then letting Erst, uh, Sandstrom walk in free agency. So, I mean, I, I see the value in Felix Sandstrom. Like, it's better than always going from Mark. Jones to Brian Elliott to Michael Neuverth to Ray Emery you know like goalies like that like journeyman backups like if you have an in-house backup goaltender I think it is valuable like you saw what Georgiev did for the New York Rangers for all those years before he finally got a starting gig out in um out in uh Colorado so I, I I think that they're in a good position with the goaltenders. I, I think that one of the few things that maybe Chuck Fletcher did right at the end was setting up the contracts to really give the Flyers a, a, a decent amount of time to decide where they want to go long-term with their goaltending position. So one of the other um, 
players that uh, came up in uh, one of your articles over the last few days was Tony D'Angelo. This fucking guy. Very interesting little, uh, you know, when you said the Flyers, you know, consider moving him. It's a very yeah, no shit kind of moment. But, uh, you know, whether or not they keep him through the season and the deadline, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I, I think this defense, this defense could look very different. But I also don't think it's going to. <laughs> like, I'm not convinced for a second they actually pull the trigger on Provorov. I'm sure both parties would not mind a split at this point, but the Flyers need to get the most out of a trade, and I'm not sure in this market it's possible. You know, there's no reason to move him if you don't have to, if you can't find the perfect value in return. Nick Sealer, like, he's on a two-way contract coming up this year. You know, and at the end of the day, I, listen, Sealer was fine last year. You know, your number seven played like a decent number six, and if the Flyers were a playoff team, that would be a lovely little diamond in the rough find. But, spoiler alert, everyone, the Flyers have not, will not, and will not be a playoffs team, you know, anytime soon, probably getting our fucking lifetimes at this rate. But, uh, you know, does he lose his spot? You already signed Zamula. Now you have Adder. If you keep D'Angelo to the trade deadline, first of all, you're taking an obscene amount of risk that this guy's play is not going to fall off even further than it already has. And he's not going to punch out his own player again for the fucking third time. Uh, you know... Uh, <sighs> Is it worth keeping Adder in the AHL for a full another season just to elevate D'Angelo's trade value from a fifth round pick to a fourth round pick in March? I don't think so. Like, I would get rid of it. Like, this is a Chuck Fletcher mistake. And I think this is one of those trades where you just cannot lose. You deal him for a fucking fifth round pick. You blame it on Chuck Fletcher's incompetence. You clear $4 million. You call up Adder. Zamula and Adder have roster spots, at least theoretically, going the next season. And, and you got your chance. I, I just, I don't understand the value of keeping this guy through the whole season. I think that risk-reward factor just isn't worth um, the potential slight bump you may get, provided all the stars would align. Yeah, I mean, I would agree, and, I, and I've and i been led to believe that they really do want Zamula and Adderd to battle for jobs next year, and they are expecting that. And the other thing is, is that, to your point, I think that they would be comfortable bringing Provorov back as opposed to, let's say, Tony D'Angelo. Because I do think that as much as Provorov may be an asshole on a personal level or be better off in a new environment— like, how many times have we said this? And you could speak to this here. Like, Provorov is John Tortorella's guy, right? Yeah. So, I mean, and the other thing is, is, like, personal things aside, and I think you've echoed this a lot, like, they cannot afford to lose an Ivan Provorov trade. So if it's between trading him for pennies on the dollar or keeping him for another season, like, you have to just hang on to Provorov at that point, right? Yeah. If there is not value out there, that is worth dealing him. You don't just get rid of this guy. There are some trades you can lose. If you got to get rid of Hayes for a fucking seventh round pick, more power to you. D'Angelo for a seventh, more fucking power to you. Provorov and Konechny, I think, are the two guys of value on here in Hart, if you want to you know, go back to that trading him argument. Those are the three guys, two guys, from, you know, that you cannot lose. You can't just trade for the sake of trading because nobody's going to fill Provorov's shoes. Um... You're, you're kind of in a corner there. So, yes, if it comes down to keeping one of them, I assume you're keeping Provorov over D'Angelo. And the other thing about this is, is that, like, I think Adderd can maybe check the box that D'Angelo is playing right now as well, no? I mean, he's the same player with a significantly higher ceiling. 
Um, he came a long way this year as offense. He was the top scoring defenseman on the team. I believe he was top five in scoring on the team entirely. Um, at the end of the day, he's going to be just as good, if not better, than D'Angelo at a $4 million less price tag than D'Angelo's getting paid right now. I mean, uh, again, win-win regardless there. Um, you know, even if Adder doesn't pan out as a guy, he's not going to be any worse than fucking D'Angelo was this year. So I, I, I cannot imagine a world where they keep this guy. But, you know, in the name of prospect development, um, you should open up that spot on the right side for Adder. Theoretically, you would sell Sealer as well and give Zamula the third pair, and you can figure this out later, but I don't think Sealer is going anywhere, unfortunately. Um, stuck with moving D'Angelo. And, I mean, if you actually play Sealer as a 6-7, then he really isn't bad, right? If like you if keep you him have... as a 7th and Zamula sees a bulk of the ice time, I would not hate that, but I don't want Sealer playing, you know, 70 games a season and Zamula sitting in the press box all goddamn year. Yeah, because I guess, like, assuming you move D'Angelo and you hang on to Provorov, just hypothetically, you could do something along the lines of Provorov, York, Sanheim, or no, I guess you'd have to split it up. You can maybe do, because you'd only have two right shots, so one guy would have to go to the right. I imagine you would maybe do Zamula and no, because then you don't have the puck moving ability. The the one thing I'd be interested in actually is if you move Provorov and D'Angelo and then you sign like a, like just a, a random guy to be like your number seven. And then you would maybe have like Sanheim, York, Zamula, Ristolainen, or I guess no, you couldn't even do that. Sanheim, Ristolainen, Zamula, York, Sealer, Adderd. Because I would imagine Sealer is probably your best partner for Ronnie Adderd, or maybe it's Sanheim. Like you've seen him more than me. Jesus, neither one of them are ideal. I think probably Sealer if you're going down a battle between Sanheim or Sealer. But I would. Hmm. Provorov, if Provorov's gone, you could do York. Because I imagine they're going to keep York on the right side. Fuck. <laughs> Why? Well, Ugh. because well, one guy would have to bump over there. And York actually did play. Because here's the thing is, like, maybe he could become, like, a Miro Heiskanen type where, like, he could really flex on both sides. And, I mean, they have Andre, who's another left shot. So, I mean, it would help if he could adapt to the right side full time. Um, because you would have Adderd, Ristolainen on the right side. Stanheim, Zamula. I mean, I guess you could bump Sealer to the right side, too, and have him play with Zamula. And then you could do, like, York, Ristolainen, Sanheim, Adderd. Something like that. Yeesh. And then, like, and, but, I mean, look, we know that they're not really going to be competing for much this year. No, this season, especially defensively, needs to be all about getting York and Zamula, or, uh, York, Zamula, and Adder, I suppose. You know, as much ice time and figuring out where the fuck they fall in long term, um, instead of actually putting a, you know, competitive unit out there. And then look at, like, some guys they can maybe sign as, like, like just as like free agents to be like a uh, a number five or, or a, a number seven rather, like 
I mean, you could go like after maybe like a Troy Stetcher or maybe a Justin Hall, like someone like that. God, I don't even like that. Don't bring in any of these outside people. But First of all, you still got fucking Connaughton in the system. And I would much rather give fucking getting a shot at filling in the spot starts if need be instead of some random dude they're going to overvalue and play. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends because in, in the in the AHL, I think it's going to look mostly the same. Like, who's the one guy that's coming who's graduating? Is it Zamolik? Uh, he's some college dude they signed, but I assume your you know top two guys are going to be Samson and Andre next year if Zamol and Adder are recalled. So Samson and Andre, then you're going to have Ginning was G- awesome. Ginning Connaughton exists. Wiley, RFA, I have no idea if they even resigned that guy. He was pretty much the odd man out. Belpedio played a big role this season, but he's a UFA. I have no idea if he's coming back. Probably not. So I assume they signed. Imagine Samson is going to take his spot. veteran guy to uh, to take his job. But yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, so like yeah. you're gonna have Zamolik and Andre Ginning, Samson, Millman, I guess, Connaughton. So I mean, they may need to sign. I would imagine maybe they re-sign Wiley. Just to, you I'd know, assume Wiley comes they, back, but I don't know if that's a guarantee. And then they're gonna f- find some other, you know, veteran journeyman to come in. I'm sure. So, I mean, like, I guess you could maybe bring up Ginning to be, like, the the seven. But, I mean, I think you could maybe... You could probably stand to sign a depth right shot D either way. To just kind of... Even if it's on, like, a two-way contract. Yeah. So, I mean, then up front is going to be interesting. Because I know um, J.R. Avon is one of the few guys graduating. And I was, remember, I was speaking to someone recently... And they told me that this is like a big year for guys like Lazinski and Wade Allison. And I was told that both of them are probably going to come back and they would expect both of them to be on the roster in some shape or another. But this is kind of like their last shot because it kind of worked out for them this year that they were um, that uh, there's not a lot of graduations from like the from the NCAA or the CHL into the AHL. So you're probably going to have some guys pushing like Denye and Brink, but I mean, there's a good chance that Brink in particular starts down with the with the Phantoms. So maybe you're going to have Lazinski and Denye really battling out with one another. But I I look up front here, and I think that this is a big season for a lot of guys. Like Tippett, obviously, because he's in the final year of his bridge deal. Allison and Lazinski, the final years of their respective deals, and more so for Lazinski because he's a UFA. I wonder what they do with Frost and Noah Cates. Those ones are going to be interesting. I Both of them are going to be here next year, but I can't imagine they qualify Kiefer Bellows. So, I mean, it's there's a lot of guys this year more up front just because of the the competition coming from the bottom and the, guy, the younger guys pushing that I think the, the pressure is going to be on. Yeah, I'm curious to see what they're doing with this forward group. Because you got a lot of these guys that could theoretically make, you know, the jump. Forrester and Brink and Danoye and, you know, even Lexel, I think you could carve out a spot for at this point. But, you know, do they make it? Are they going to do it? And, you know, it's the fascinating aspect for me of this whole 
summer, and and it's not even necessarily Tortorella's job yet, but, you know, everyone talked about how well he played the youth this year, and I think for the most part he did, but I'm curious to see how this ends up working out, and it falls on Breer's shoulders first to open up enough roster spots where Forrester can walk up, you know, basically unopposed and earn a spot and, you know, get his NHL career on the road, but, you know, can they continue to continue this youth movement at a at a sturdy pace at a strong movement here it's not just about running it back with frost cates and Tippett. now it's about including guys like forrester and denoyer and you know denoyer is going to be an interesting one i think a lot of this depends on the health of sean couturier but you know your centers theoretically are frost cates and couturier which you know leaves denoyer out i don't want this guy playing fourth line nhl minutes it's dumb you know he should be top liner in the ahl next season if there's not a spot for him so you know and you can make that argument with forrester and brink as well as this fucking goddamn disaster they have on the right wing here do they keep connecting you know what the fuck is cam atkins gonna do when he comes back you know and you got Faraby who's probably gonna play on the left side denoyer is on the left side adders here Tippett, allison it's just god there's so many fucking bodies on this roster none of them are any goddamn good <sighs> it's a shitty version of musical chairs trying to figure out everyone's going to slot in here just because of the, the positional chaos you have at right wing the lack of bodies you have to left wing the disaster you have at center the defensemen are a mess so it's, it's going to be a year trying to figure out where everyone slots in in the long term and it's about hopefully having enough roster spots to let these young guys even get a chance in the nhl to begin with so Hayes is gone. So Hopefully. your first, yeah. So your so your first line is probably something, and this could all change, obviously. But I would imagine it's something along the lines of Farabee, Frost, Konechny. Oh boy. Then your second line is, I would imagine, and again, these are all a lot of these guys are interchangeable. So then your second line is maybe Tippett, Couturier, Atkinson. Tippett should not be playing on the left side in favor of Cam Atkinson. Okay, so you could swap them. Whatever. It doesn't really matter. Your third line is probably Lawton, Cates. And this is where it gets interesting. Because you could theoretically have Atkinson on your third line with Lawton and Cates. And then Tippett with Couturier on the second line. And then your fourth line is probably Delorier, Lazinski, and Wade Allison. And then it opens up a spot in the top six, in my opinion. So in my mind, you have one bottom six role opening because I don't think Lazinski's spot is guaranteed by any stretch. And I think you could very well see him become like a 13th forward here next year. And a top six wing role on more likely than not the left side. And I, I wouldn't mind bumping Tippett to the left wing if it meant in favor of like Forrester, because I think Tippett played on the left wing a lot last year and could make and showed that he could maybe excel. Maybe it's Ollie Lexell, who is a left shot, but I think has played more on the right side. No, he's a left wing. He's a left wing? Yep. Okay, he's lifted here as a right, but okay, so that's stupid on cat friendly sports. Those positionals <laughs> but... on cat friendly are very wrong from what they yeah. are IRL. So, and then I guess Brink, but I would imagine he needs some more time in the AHL. I do love Bobby Brink. I think he'll be a John Tortorella darling if he ever gets that recall. He's just, just fucking awesome. I think he could carve out a long-term spot at third line right wing. So, so here's the thing is that, like, 
you're probably like I guess it would if I had to bank on it early, it would maybe be Forster just because John Tortorella seemed to love Tyson Forster. So I mean, if you had and you said you wouldn't want Denway playing fourth line, right? There's no point. No, he's not better than that. Okay, and I guess, and I guess the same goes for Noah Cates, right? See, this whole center thing, like Frost, Cates, and Couturier, what a goddamn mess. Nobody's really good. I mean, I guess it all depends on what the hell we're getting to Sean Couturier, and my expectations are about as low as can possibly be for his return. But uh, I don't know if any of them are, you know, do you want Cates to be a depth grinder to a guy, or do you want to elevate him in, you know, a top six, even maybe top line role to see if you can elevate his offensive side as well, which I think was kicked to the curb last season in favor of his defensive abilities. So, yeah. eh, I don't know. Well, it would be interesting if you had, let's say, Noah Kate centering like Tippett and Forster. Yeah. Like that would be interesting. Or maybe you split those two because they're both kind of shoot first guys. So maybe you have like Farabee, Cates, and Forster, and you have Tippett, Frost, and Konechny, or some variation of that. I do think this is like Morgan Frost's like best chance to really lock in a spot long term here as a top six center. Great. <laughs> I he did play well last year. I think the thing with Frost that doesn't concern me but makes me more curious is the fact that. Can he perform at a high level when the games matter? I think that's a very fair question to ask. Probably not. Yeah, and only time will tell when it comes. And he's never going to play any meaningful games here anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah that's, that is a good point. And God, none of this does anything for me. My junk doesn't wiggle even a little bit when we're talking about these alliance. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be another year of, like, I feel like... Last year was figuring out who was part of the solution and who wasn't. And now this year is more about finding who slots where in the long term. Because next year at this time, you're going to probably have a, a lot of graduations, right? Like Cutter Goatsy, I would imagine, is one of those guys, depending who they draft in the first round this year, could be one of those guys. So, I mean, the clock is probably ticking for a lot of these players. And... I mean, like even a guy like I know that they didn't want to buy out Cam Atkinson this summer, but like next summer, I would imagine what a Cam Atkinson buyout would look like when there would be one year left on his contract. Yeah, it would start to make more and more sense, probably. And then I I do I think it was Anthony Sanfilippo said something that like he's probably going to wear a letter this year, which would be very John Tortorella esque. But I mean. You're you're not going to see like D'Angelo one way or another won't be here. Sealer won't be here. So if they bought worth... out Atkinson in the 2024 off season, it would be a 2.3 million cap hit in 24-25, and in 25-26 it'd be 1.7. So that would probably be even more advantageous than right now. I believe so. Yeah. So you could buy out Cam Atkinson, and then by that time, the cap... Presumably... It's a shorter term. It's the same. It's 2.3 for two years and 1.7 for two years right now, which would take him to 2027. So it's and... a much shorter buyout, but the cap hit is not you know overly different. Okay, so then 
And I think that by the final year that he would be on the books with dead money, the cap would probably be well over $90 million by that <laughs> Fuck. point. I don't even know if you can make that assumption these days based on this stupid cap. But theoretically, yes. Yeah, so theoretically. And um, yeah, no, I, I really do think that... Um, I, I think that they have a chance here to put a lot of chips in the right places. Like, I think that uh, it's so weird. Like we always go through kind of like a rotation about like defense and forward and what they're, what, which positions looking good at specific times. But I mean, like it feels like depending on who they draft this summer, long-term they could be decent up front. Like if you have Gautier and let's say a, a Zach Benson or pardon me, a Dalibor Dvorsky or Ryan Leonard. You could set yourself up long-term here. But on defense, it really feels like they're going to have to put in work to try and find that guy who's going to be your next number one. Yeah, I think Zamula will be a good third liner in time. I like Adderd, but I'm curious to see what his transition to the NHL ultimately ends up looking like. You know, Andre looked good, but it was a 10-game sample size. You know, you can't put a whole lot of stock into that just yet as far as where to pencil him in in the future. Um, probably a top four guy, I would assume, but I don't know if he's a bona fide number one. And, you know, beyond that, I don't know what to make of Ethan Sampson. I have not seen him play. Um, so we'll get a better look next season, but you don't really got anybody else notable defenseman in the system beyond that. So, you know, I think in a few years' time, it'll be a very young and up-and-coming roster, but, you know, in the short term, it's about carving out spots to make sure these guys get NHL minutes to continue their development in the first place. And that's kind of going to be, I think, the storyline of this offseason is do they do what's necessary in order to guarantee that Adderd and Zamula both make the NHL to begin with, to make sure that, you know, Forrester has a guaranteed roster spot. And that, that's kind of what I'm more interested in this summer um, in the short term is, is the continuing the influx of prospects into this, this, this shell of a fucking hockey team they are these days. Like for me, there's like, I would say that you could maybe stand to sign like a veteran depth defenseman, but only if you're able to move Provorov and D'Angelo. But I mean, aside from that, like, I don't know if you have a need to sign any forward unless it's like a guy that could f come up between the AHL and NHL. Like, I, I do think that they'll probably sign like a few guys in that role. Obviously, like maybe a depth guy also on the back end for the... For the AHL, probably they're going to have to figure out who the goaltender is. In um, There are probably uh, quite a few AHL contracts coming, I would assume. Yeah. Both to fill out your forwards and defensemen. Yeah, exactly. Like, I imagine Lexell is going to be re-signed. Max Wilman, I would imagine, no. Jackson Cates, who knows. Like, so they, they probably have, like, five to ten AHL contracts coming. But as far as the NHL goes, like, I mean... I, it, I obviously will depend on if they are able to dump a uh, Travis Konechny or if they trade Joel Farabee or any of those guys. But if everything mostly remains equal and you want to keep a spot or two open for a young guy to make the roster, like I don't think you have to really go looking for anything big time in free agency. No, they don't have to. I would like them to, but they don't have to. And then listen, that's totally fine. You know, I, I know I've been a big advocate of... Uh... 
circling back on Debrincat and whatnot, but you don't have to do that. But if you're not going to fucking do that, then you better go to Konechny and start selling and rebuild this shit properly, which I am skeptical of them doing, you know, either one of those approaches, because it's just the flyer's way to keep one foot in, one foot out. And, you know, Breer and Jones, you're talking a big game, but we'll, uh, we'll know for sure, you know, can they put their money where their mouth is uh, about a month from now, so... Color me skeptical still. I'm still not thrilled about this whole goddamn situation until we get answers one way or the other. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. And like, like we said, kind of like to open the show, there hasn't been a whole lot of tangible things to break down um, in terms of roster movement. Like we've heard the rumors and what they're considering and doing, but I, it doesn't seem like they're hell-bent on doing one specific thing which is, I guess, a positive thing. Like, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt because it is a newly led management group, but we have to really see what they're going to do before we, or what they do do, rather, before we pass full judgment. Because maybe, you know, you sell Konechny for a package centered around a first-round pick, you do the same thing with Ivan Provorov, you move on from Tony D'Angelo, and you have three first-round picks this year, and then you're saying, hey, like, they're really going balls deep into this. So... But then on the other hand, maybe they don't do anything and then the skepticism is fully valid. So it really it's hard to make any sort of proclamation about how you feel about them until they really start doing the roster movements. Yeah, hoping for the best, expecting the worst kind of thing, just because it's the flyer's way. But I just at the end of the day, I just want them to make moves that follow a direction. You know, if you're rebuilding, if you're going to rebuild, then sell Travis Konechny and try and sell Ivan Provorov, you know, for best thing. Try and get whatever you can for D'Angelo. Get rid of Hayes, you know. Figure some of this shit out in the short term and open up roster spots for your youth. Even if you don't add anybody. I don't give a shit. You don't have to bring in DeBrincat if you're going to rebuild. If you're going to guarantee Forrester and Brink and Danoy all of roster spots next season. Like, I'm fine pissing away all of next year and wasting a full another year if it's in the name of proper development. If they're not doing anything, and we're going to run it back, and, like, this is the biggest fear, is they get cold feet about trading Hayes. Well, we don't want to retain half of his contract. And, well, we can't find proper value for Provorov or Konechny, so they're both back. And nobody wants D'Angelo right now. And this and that, and this roster gets run back almost in its entirety. And all these guys are still in the AHL, and it's just a complete waste of fucking time. I'm going to be an unhappy camper, you know, because that's not what this should be about. And... You know, there are ways to get better, too. There, you know, you can go out and bring in to bring get and try and get the most out of Tippett and Frost and start accelerating things here. Find a good player for you know, Forrester to come in and make it. Like, I want a good effort towards a rebuild, or I want a good effort towards putting on a least semi-decent product on the ice next season. I do not want more complacency! I don't want to see this exact same roster again next year. Like, I don't give a shit what direction they go in. Just please, please, please... Do something different. Yep. No, I I agree wholeheartedly. I, I really do think that they need to they need to do something different. And you know, obviously, like things are quiet right now across the NHL. If it kind of feels like a lot of teams are trying to figure out who are going to be leading their organizations. Like, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of uh, changes, in my opinion, um, of just like upper in management groups. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, a lot of teams are uh, making some moves, whether it's uh, 
GMs, presidents, coaches, you know, that time of year where these things are getting moved out, and I feel like there's a lot of a uh, lot more, you know, managerial roles shifting this, this year than there were last year. Last year was all about changing coaches. And so and once everybody gets set with their new front office and whatnot, maybe the rumors will start to uh, emerge as far as potential trade candidates and whatnot. We can start figuring that shit out. But, yeah, it's been a very, very quiet summer thus far in terms of moves um, and predictions. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, which RFAs are available or who may hit for agency and whatnot. So it's, it's, it's been very quiet, quieter than usual for this time of year. Well, like, look, like you just have Toronto kind of going through an overhaul of – whatever the hell they're doing in their front office and Brad Living comes in Pittsburgh just cleared out their front office, bringing Kyle Dubas as the president of hockey ops. You have Ottawa who's in the middle of a sale. You have the Calgary flames who have a new president of hockey ops and Don Maloney and a new GM in in Craig Conroy. And to be fair, those are two in-house hires, but still changes. Nonetheless, you have coaching changes across the league and, Anaheim needs a new coach. Calgary needs a new coach. Toronto, who the hell knows what happens with Shelton Keefe. Uh, New York needs a new coach. Washington just hired their new coach. Like, it, it just seems like a lot of teams are going through changes in terms of their leadership off the ice, which has halted any player movement on the ice. And I will give maybe the Flyers... We're good on that, that they kind of got out in front of it a bit. Although, like, the president search only wrapped up two, three weeks ago or whatever it is now. But, I mean, it's, it seems like a lot of things have been in a holding pattern as teams look to see who will be leading their teams from a leadership perspective. Yep. All kinds of, uh, God, every time I look at Cap from there, I just get fucking angry. This is so stupid. In Sean Couturier of- and Cam Atkins coming back really just throw a wrench in fucking everything. It, it's weird because, like, if you look at Sean Couturier's contract, let's say he was not this 80-point guy, but let's say he could be the same defensive player but a 65-point player. Like, his contract from a cap hit perspective really isn't bad. Like, 7.75. And Atkinson, too, like, we both agreed that, like, for what he gives on the ice, 5.875 really isn't that bad. It's more just from the perspective of, like, them taking up spots. You're rebuilding. Your rebuild is starting off with a 30-year-old and a 34-year-old coming back, both of which missed all of last season. Sean Couturier hasn't played in 22 months. The Couturier one is... See, the Atkinson one, I don't really... The, you know, you, they traded Voracek for him, right? Yeah. So I'm just like, you know, it is the better of a, of the two situations. Like, I still make that trade, you know, a, a seven days a week. So the Atkinson, the Atkinson one is just one, annoying because he's a right wing and you got 15 right wings that all need NHL time right now. Yeah, but, like, it's actually weird. Like, that's one of the trades that Chuck Fletcher made that I would say, like, was one of his more creative ones. Because I never thought that they were going to be able to get rid of Voracek without paying to get rid of him or, like, retaining salary, and they did. So that one, Atkinson, it is what it is. Good locker room guy, the whole thing. The Couturier one, again, like, the contract itself isn't terrible because, you know, $7.75 million, like, fuck, like, we're getting to a point now where $7.75 million is what? Like, the going rate for a high-end 3C these days? When you're considering that, like the elite level centers are getting like 13 million, obviously Austin Matthews will kind of set that precedent soon. But I mean, 
who knows what he's going to be. Like, in my opinion, I'm saying if he can give you Hayes' level offense, like 55, 60 points with the defensive ability that Hayes doesn't have, I think you could live with that average annual value. But to your point, it's more just the roster occupation. And the thing is, is that they're missing like that bona fide top line center. Yeah. But, but like, if let's say Gauthier could become that, like, they kind of are decently set up down the middle, as weird as that sounds now. Like, let's say Gauthier could become your top line center. You could theoretically have like some combination of Frost, Cates, Denye going forward, and Sean Couturier because he's here till twenty thirty. Well, that's and I would imagine that at some point you would try and transition Couturier to the wing. Oh, great! Like, All this is assuming that he's even fucking capable of playing again. Yeah, I mean, I two guess back surgeries some... and missing twenty two months is um pretty much unprecedented that he's going to return at all alone at you know a reasonably high level yeah i think that um it's weird it's like you don't want to like i've never had an issue with sean katori as a player like he's never been my favorite but i think that he's always been a solid player before the injuries i just think that the the problems that i ran into him with him weren't even his fault it was that the team latched onto him as some like organizational cornerstone. Yeah. Like this is the guy that we're going to build around. When in reality, I always kind of viewed him as like a Ryan Kessler, like a really good second high end piece. Like the first year where he really broke out and he was kind of playing second field to Giroux and Voracek, like that was the proper way to use Sean Couturier. Yeah. You know, he got his offense by being, you know, the second to Giroux. And now he doesn't even have Giroux. He's got nobody on this team that can produce any fucking shred of offense, actually, now that he's coming back. And this is provided that he can move at a decent space and can still play, you know. I, I don't think he's going to lose the defensive aspect of his game, but it's about his speed. It's about whether he can still create offense, whether he can do it by himself without any major help. You know, I'm sure this guy is one of those guys, even with the injuries, you can slot in at 4C for the rest of time and just have him play solid defense and shut down penalty kill minutes. But, you know, for 775 until 2030, and he's 30 years old, you know, this is a uh, this is a situation that's doomed to fail sooner or later. It's just about whether or not you can get a few more miles out of him um, when he returns this season. And, you know, hopefully he returns this year, but... We'll see. We'll see what kind of longevity and talent he has left. But boy, am I not excited to see, you know, broken down Sean Couturier come back and attempt to play hockey again. It's crazy because, like, let's say you had, let's say, obviously, he hadn't missed 22 months or whatever it will end up being. And he was on the team playing, like, second line center to, like, a, um, who knows? Like, let's say, like, he's playing on Florida as their 2C or Vegas as their 2C or playing 2C behind an Austin Matthews or Nathan McKinnon making $7.75 million. That's a decent ticket for Sean Couturier. And the, the unfortunate thing about this is that if he hadn't gotten injured, even with that contract, maybe you could have found a way to move him. Now, not accounting for the full no movement clause that he has, but... It's just the injury aspect of this has caused such a wrench or thrown such a wrench into it. So, I mean, I mean, like, I'll, I'll ask you, like, do you think that 
if he was able to not be an 80-point center but a 60, 65-point center, that contract would be okay aside from the injuries. <laughs> yeah, if he never got hurt and kept up his pace, you know, from what he was at in 17-18, yeah, sure, it would be fine. 7.7 would probably continue to go a long way. You know, you could probably see out at least half of that contract of it looking decent, but that's not the case. You know, 22 months is, is a long time, you know, to, to go and two back problems. I mean, you, back surgeries are hard for average humans to overcome, you know, and get back to a regular life, let alone, you know, playing professional hockey at a, you know, top six level and shutdown minutes. It's just, you know, it could work. <coughs> Pardon me. Maybe he comes back and, uh, isn't completely terrible, but man, the the expectation of this guy is uh is about as low as it could possibly be right now. And we have to see if he you know makes it. What happens when he gets cross checked for the first time? You know what happens if he tweaks something? You know how many times can he come back from whatever he's dealing with right now? It's just I don't know, man. This this I was I was thoroughly against resigning this guy at the time for reasons just like this, actually. That uh, I was you know kind of coasting on borrowed time, given how heavy he played, and you know they paid for it immediately. Now they got to pay for it for the next uh, you know seven years. So hopefully he comes back and gives him a little bit of time. But like I said, my expectations are um, about as low as possible right now. Yeah, it's uh, and there's there's some things I'm optimistic about. Like I'm curious, to, or not even optimistic, but maybe more cautiously optimistic. Like I'm curious to see Cam York, the step that he could take. I'm very curious about Morgan Frost. Like I'm very curious to see what he can do. Maybe now that he doesn't have to look over his shoulder, I think he finally got over the confidence issues, and now John Tortorella has given him has really entrusted him as like arguably the team's top center, which is scary on some level. But I mean, there, there are some like Owen Tippett. He, he was really cool to watch last year. It's just more. I want to see how these guys look as long-term fixtures on this team. Are you expecting a lot of these guys to take massive steps forward from their offensive production standpoint if this roster stays relatively similar. Frost and Tippett, you know, are they going to go from 40-point guys to, you know, maybe 60 to 70-point guys? Or are you just hoping that they don't revert back to being, you know, worthless players? Morgan Frost, like, look, he had 48 points last year, I think. 19 goals and 48 points, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, so, in any missed one game, it's a healthy scratch. I would expect Frost. I always said that I thought his ceiling was a 50 to 60 point player. So I would expect him to get another like five to 10 points. And I think that if he could prove to be like a 55 point center who maybe excels on the power play, I think that would be considered a win. Um, I don't think he'll ever be Claude Giroux Jr. or anything ever like that. I think, but I think that if, it's fair to expect him to be a 55 to 60 point center at this point, but it's a big season for him. And I don't think he's going to wind up in the doghouse or playing with Jerry Mayhew or Delorier or McEwen at some points. I think that was needed because I think he was a guy who got down in the dumps a lot and needed to mature mentally. But I think he finally got over that and you saw that translate into next season. Now, 
again, you need to see consistency from Frost and you need to see him do it when the games matter. But I, I do think that a success would be five to six, uh, a five to 10 point increase. Owen Tippett's a very fair or a very interesting guy to me because I don't think he's ever going to be like a, like a slam dunk, like top end winger. But I mean, do I think it would be fair to maybe for him to get to Travis Konechny's level? Like, I mean, I think he has all the tools. I think he's powerful. <laughs> what a backhanded compliment. <laughs> I I mean, like, I, I always said he reminded me not so much style of play, but his impact on a team like a Joffrey Lupel. Um, and I think Lupel at times in his career showed that he could be a top line winger. As like I think he played that role with Kessel and Bozak in Toronto, in Philadelphia a couple times he had really good runs with uh, Carter and Hartnell or um, Richards and Umberger and kind of quasi top lines. I'm not sure what Lupul's point total was, but obviously he played in an era where point uh, where goal totals were more down. So I mean, I, I think that oh, do you how many points did Tippett get last year? I'm trying to see here. Uh... He was close to 30 goals, I want to 27 say. 27 goals, 49 points. Now, look, I I got to be careful with this because it's a lot to jump. He missed five games, so he would have been over a 50-point guy. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I really think that you need to see at least a, like a 65, 70-point season from Tippett. Not now. Look, even if he stays as a fifty to sixty point winger, that's still good. But it doesn't separate himself from the pack. It doesn't make him any different from a Farabee or Forster or Brink, in my opinion, in terms of overall impact on the game. Different stylistically, but overall. Now, I think that for him to really separate himself from the pack you're going to want to see him become a 65-70 point guy. Someone that you could throw on a top line and be like, okay, he's not going to drive the line, but he could be the final piece, a perfect complement to, let's say, a Gauthier and uh, a top line left winger X in the future. And if he could prove to be that, it makes Travis Konechny more expendable, that much more expendable. Now, for guys like Wade Allison and Tanner Lazinski, I mean... Wade Allison just needs to get used properly. Yeah. The entire thing that made this guy as awesome as he was in Lehigh and as useful as he was in Lehigh was just his fucking reckless abandon to crash the net and score goals and be that kind of offensive guy. And Tortorella, you know, he ended up deep in Tortorella's doghouse this year as, you know, fourth line, seven minute a night, two-way guy. And it's just, that's not what he is. You know, whether it's the Flyers or whether it's some other team, if they can figure that out of just, hey, let this guy go out. You know what? He may not be the best defensively. You may, you know, a mistake may happen now and again, but if you get the most out of him offensively because of that, like, fuck, that's the best way to use the guy. I'd be willing to take that risk if there's a reward coming for it. Yeah. So, like, what I've always thought about Allison is that five-on-five, you could play him in, like, a fourth-line role, but I would always give him top-line power play unit time. Like, I I think that he's someone that could be very useful in the fourth line because it makes matching up against him tough. And I do think he played well with uh, Nick Deloria, and I think they were very good friends off the ice. So I have no problem if you want to play him five-on-five in that fourth line role. I just think that 
you have to give him that that power play role. And I don't think John Tortorella did that enough for Rocky Thompson, whoever it was. So I would like to see them give Wade Allison more of that type of role. But overall point totals, how, what did he get? Like, 15, I, mean, I believe. 15? Nine goals, 15 points in 16. So, games. like, look, and he missed a, a fair amount of games. He missed 22 games. He so. played the same amount of games as Travis Konechny. <laughs> So he, so 15 points. So if you prorate that, he's probably over. Like, I don't really judge Wade Allison on point totals. Like you said, I want him to just maybe be a bit more consistently used and some more consistency on his end. Tanner Lazinski, I mean, I don't know if there's anything Tanner Lazinski could do this year to really change his long-term role on this team. I think as long as Tortorella's here, they're not, they're not getting along. Yeah. And, and I do think a lot of that is the fact that he couldn't stay healthy. I think a lot of that is that maybe it's just been too long with him. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, you, you even look at guys like Den Y.A. in the system, and Cates has already carved out a role. Like, them converting Cates to center has really kind of— I don't even know if it was for the best because I felt like— as a left winger, especially given the scarcity that they have at that position, that position, they could have stood to use him better. I was not a, a big fan of move at the time. I, I'm still, you know, still questionable about it. But I, it definitely turned out well for them. It wasn't a, a move just to waste a move, just to move the guy for center for no reason because you didn't have any fucking bodies down the middle. Like he ended up being a very good center, but uh, you know, yeah, yeah, short-handed yourself in the left wing now because of it. Yeah, and because imagine if you had like Cates and and Farabee's an interesting one. This Farabee, fucking guy. You know, he's a guy that I remember you and I were talking about ten months ago as maybe he's gonna be the next captain of your team. Yeah, and, once upon a time he seemed like uh, uh the next golden boy, and boy, it has been a rough couple of years for him. He's the one guy of like the younger ilk that seemed to be severely hurt when Alain Vigneault left. Yeah. Because Av was a massive fan of Joel Farabee, and I think that he blossomed. He was one of the few bright spots in the COVID shortened season in 2021. Now, 39 points in 82 games. He has not hit 40 points yet in his career. Only hit 20 yeah. points once back in 2020-21. If you prorated the the shortened season, though, I guess you could kind of say he did. We don't prorate things around here. I'm not a fan of that. <laughs> Fair enough. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, he's at times shown to be... Because what is a, a reasonable ceiling for Joel Farabee? Like a 50-point second-line left wing? Now? Yeah, probably. Yeah, so, I mean, he's a guy that obviously you want to see... Uh, like, him, he at least needs to hit 50 points next year. He needs to... And you're going to give him... He played all 82 games this year, too. Yeah, and came back like two months early from originally projected. Yeah, and I guess that's the thing is there's always the benefit of the doubt there with him. You know, he was oft injured in 21-22 and never gained a lot of momentum because of it. And then this year he, you know, had the offseason neck surgery and came back and uh, somehow played in every game. But I, I would assume he was hampered certainly early on you know, by the neck problem. Now you got to hopefully assume, I mean, so far so good. I don't think we've heard anything yet. You're in its early in the offseason, you know before he hurts himself again. But, you know, theoretically, he's going into this year without any excuses. Um, so um, hopefully the neck is not bothering him long-term. You know, it's not a kind of a permanent thing. And we kind of finally get to see what he's got. But, yeah, the, the bar from what this guy was 
you know, a year, year and a half ago to what he is right now is uh, significantly lowered. Which is not good, yeah. considering the role he was supposed to be playing right now. Yeah, and I think that you could look, obviously, Jack Eichel is in a different tier of, of player. But, I mean, you look at Eichel and his point total struggling early on coming off of that surgery. And I even think this year his point totals didn't pop off the page. I think he had, like, what, 65 points or whatever. And now you're seeing him 18 months post-surgery playing as one of the better players in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So you want to give him that benefit of the doubt. I do think that Torts at times was a bit of a dick for no reasons with Joel Farabee, but, I mean, that's John Tortorella. And uh, he he's one that is very interesting to me. I think that he has maybe a longer leash just because of the inherent lack of natural left wings on the roster. So, I mean, I, I look at Konechny, or not Konechny, um, Tippett and Frost predominantly in what I want to see from them take steps, and then Joel Farabee right after that. And Allison, it's more not, like you said, it's not even point totals. Him, it's more just about trying to carve out a consistent role, but that also lies at the feet of the coach as well. Yeah, the only reason I even brought this all up to begin with is, is you know, I was going back and forth with people on Twitter earlier in the week, and they just... They had penciled in everyone taking massive steps this year. And, you know, it's not impossible, but I think this is kind of the difference between real life and, you know, the NHL 23 aspect of everything, of where everyone's just going to magically top out at their overall, versus, you know, the lack of firepower on this team is going to affect their offensive totals. This was a 29th-ranked team in goals per game. They were a 29th-ranked team in total goals scored this uh, last season, rather. You know, it's a pretty pathetic group, and it's not looking like it's going to get better. You know, the best you can hope is that Forster shows up and, and lights a fire under some of these guys, and they can carry Frost to a better production. But, you know, can these guys step up on their own without any outside help? You know, this is assuming Brink's not coming. Uh, Denoyer is not. Jesus Christ. Debrincat isn't coming. This is assuming that, you know, Tyler Bertuzian coming. You're not getting any outside help. You know, this kind of thing. And. Uh, can they can they elevate their games on their own if this roster looks nearly identical to what it is? And and I, I I'm sure they're all forty to fifty point guys regularly, but can they be more than that on their own? And you know I I think they all have more room to grow. They very well could be, but I'm skeptical that there's enough collective talent at forward here to really send this offense over the edge and, and these guys establish themselves as stars without any uh, exterior help making that happen. Well, I think the exterior help in the eyes of the Flyers is going to come through who they draft this year and Cutter Gauthier. That's where Great. I... That's what I think that they're their idea is and i mean who like cutter goatsy i mean i think has given reason for optimism obviously we're going to reserve judgment until he does it at the pro level like in terms of who they draft this year i mean my guess and i i do think it's going to be a forward and i think it will depend heavily on who's available but i feel like zach benson may be the guy they land on I've heard Ryan Leonard as well, but I think Benson has more of a high-end ceiling. Um, so, I mean, if you think or you're planning to develop these guys, wh whatever you want to use, into top-line players and could pencil in your top left wing and your top center moving forward, 
you're maybe just trying to structure who your, you know, your supporting cast is going to be. Like, can Owen Tippett be a perfect right wing and a third, like, kind of like a third wheel, if you will, to a Benson and a Gauthier? Can Frost, Farabee, and Forrester become a formidable second line going forward? Can Noah Cates, Sean Couturier, and a Bobby Brink be your, like, third line shutdown forward group going forward? Can, you know, Wade Allison and whoever be like a good fourth line uh, trio, I guess, as I stutter (laughs) going forward. I think that's what they're trying to figure out here. And they're very much investing into developing those high end pieces because I, I I do think they're aware that as good as Owen Tippett may be as good as Frost may be as good as Farabee may be, these are not going to be the guys that can lead your team offensively. But if they could be good second line players and fringe top line players, maybe it works out if you're able to develop the Gauthiers and a Benson, for example. So next season's a complete waste with the intention of, you know, getting the, the in-house guys, Forrester, Zamola, Adder, and company, NHL minutes. 24-25 is when, theoretically, Gautier and 7th overall show up and get inserted into this lineup. So that's going to be a complete waste. 25-26 is when all the kumbaya unity shit starts. And then you, you get to a move. And then, uh, you know, 26-27 there, theoretically. That's when we can start hoping things are better. So, you know, five, five, four, five, six years from now. Then, 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 this league gets taken by storm. Until then, you know. I think it's just going to depend heavily on how they develop um, some of the guys over the next 12 to 24 months. I think that's really what it's going to come down to here. If I had to make um, a best hypothesis, if you will. It's just really going to be what does Goatsy end up being? What does the seventh overall end up being? And what can they do on that back end? Like, I, I, if I, this is purely kind of speculative, but I think that if they could get another pick in the first round, they will go for, uh, they will go D maybe like an Oliver Bonk type, a right shot who's protected to go in like that 18 to 30 range i.e. the back half of the draft. How hard do you think they're going to try and get more picks either in the late first round or second round? I, I think that's what their goal is for guys like Provorov and D'Angelo and Konechny. I think that's the, what they want in return. Like Provorov, they want an Ekholm or a Chikrin type of return. D'Angelo, I mean, you want to get draft picks. Like I think that they... Want, like I think in an ideal world, they want another first rounder and and a second rounder. I think that's what they're really aiming for. I think later on in the draft, they're in decent shape because you have two thirds, you have two fourths, you have two sixths, so you you are decently set up uh, in the in the last few rounds. But I mean, you would want more than one pick in the first two rounds of a draft this highly this star studded. I, I do think they'll be able to find at least one more first round pick with either Konechny or Ivan Provorov. Like to me, the team that still kind of jumps out at me for Provorov, I know St. Louis uh, has kicked tires on Provorov and they have three first round picks this year. So 
that's something that I would watch. I still wonder about the Winnipeg Jets because they've shown interest in Provorov in the past. Anthony Sanfilippo has talked about that a lot. The oh, what only a well-deserved with... fate for Provorov to go waste his fucking life in Winnipeg. <laughs> the only thing with Winnipeg is that they only have one one first-round pick, no second-round pick, one third-round pick, no fourth-round pick, so I'm not sure if they can afford to give that up. But, I mean, St. Louis is the one team that I've heard has... It's been nothing more than kicking tires at this point, but I do wonder about St. Louis. I mean, the only thing with them is, like, I'm not... I wonder if they're able to bring in Provorov without moving on from another defenseman um, of, like, kind of, like, significant value. Maybe it's, like you have to take back like a Marco Scandella in a similar trade. But I mean, like who cares if you have to just bring in Scandella to make that money work, but I mean, who knows? So, I mean, they would be interesting because you could ask for maybe Toronto's pick and I'm not sure where Toronto is picking, but I would imagine it's in the 20 to 25 range. I think so. Yeah. So if you could maybe get like Toronto's pick this year, you know, a third round pick in next year's draft because you have a um, because they have two picks and then you bring back a Marco Scandella. Maybe that's something that works for an eye from pro Rob. Toronto's first rounder is 25th overall. Exactly. And I think that's like something that would be like kind of in the neighborhood of what you'd be looking for in Ivan Provorov. Tony D'Angelo. I mean, I, it's weird. Like I. He wasn't great this year, but he still did put up, I think, 46 points in 70 games. There is value in D'Angelo. Oh, there's a lot of value. I, I just don't... You know, if this if you found a team that had a proper defensive structure and could utilize him very rarely, you know, at 5-5 five and five and use him as a power play guy, you know, there's value there. A right shot power play guy is going to put up 40 points, you know, at one year at $5 million, especially considering how fucking shitty this free agent pool is. I don't believe for a second that they could not move him right now. You know? Oh, yeah, I, I do, too. And, you know, if they have to retain money, who gives a shit? Yeah, it's one year. Matter. So for me, I look at, like you say, a good structured defensive team. I look at Seattle and you look at their roster. They have four guys under contract for next year. Now, they do have Justin Schultz. So, I mean, maybe that's too much of the same. But, I mean, if you put, let's say, Tony D'Angelo beside Vince Dunn or Jamie Oleksiak, I mean, I think that could work. And, again, they have three second-round picks this year. So maybe you say, give me your give me your second-round pick because I think they're, they're going to have the, the lowest of the picks out of Toronto and Winnipeg. So, I mean, maybe you just say, give me a second-round pick this year. Or you, you attach a fourth-round pick with D'Angelo to get – the Winnipeg second round pick, something like that. So, I mean, I think Winnipeg is the lowest. Yeah. So let's say you want the uh, uh, 50th overall. Okay. And then Seattle's Seattle's is 52 and Toronto's would be 57. So maybe you, so yeah, maybe you say, give us a Toronto's for whatever. That's the highest pick. So, I mean, you're, you're going to, you have some options here. Obviously, Travis Konechny is the one that I think you would... I would never say a bad word about this team ever again if they traded Travis Konechny this summer. I would be like, the happiest clam to steal a line from Manny. <laughs> I wonder what team would be willing to give up a good haul for Konechny. Like, I, I keep looking at Carolina. Carolina, that would just, that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. yeah, because you look at their, you know... 
their contract situation and they only have one for like not counting Vasily Ponoromarev because I don't think he exists (laughs) in my opinion but aside from just Barry Kokaniemi they don't have one guy signed beyond next season wow they don't holy shit so I mean god that would be the dream and you know I I believe uh, Max Pacioretty's contract is up I can't imagine. Oh, yeah. So Svechnikov as well. He's another four that they have signed. But I mean, you bring in Konechny, who is only signed till 2025, but you could theoretically have your top line of uh, Svechnikov off. They don't have anybody under contract long term. Jesus Christ. What's that? Nobody in their organization is signed to long term. Yeah. So I mean, years. God. Yeah. So I I think that they. They would be a team because I think that Konechny playing alongside Svechnikov and Ajo is like exactly the type of role that he would excel in as like the third fiddle, kind of like what he was with Katori and Giroux once upon a time. They're also a team that has a ton of, uh, you know, prospect depth as well. They could uh, try and steal from and not just draft picks. Yeah, exactly. Like for them, I would say like if you get a first round pick for Provorov, I would almost more prioritize trying to get like I, I like Jack Drury, but maybe he's done enough now at this point to try and to lock in a job long term with them. Maybe a Ryan Suzuki. He's a guy that's struggled to stay healthy a lot. So maybe you could do like and these are all just fake trades that I'm just trying to be fair with. But if you could do, let's say a second round pick this year, get back your second round pick next year and like Ryan Suzuki for Travis Konechny. Like then all of a sudden you have two second round picks, you have two first round picks, you recoup some draft picks for the following year. Like there, there's ways that you could really load up on draft picks here. Yeah. And next year, you know, you have two first round picks, which is very beneficial and if you could get two second round picks for next season or a second round pick and an extra third for next season, all of a sudden it doesn't look too, too bad. It's just that you have to, you have to look at the right teams. And I, and I do think people are selling Tony D'Angelo short a bit here. Like, don't you think? I would agree. Like, uh, I think this guy's got trade value. And there's some people that, well, he's not valuable at all. Or you have to wait to the deadline to recapture value. Bullshit. Right shot defenseman, power play guy, five million for one year. You know, would you rather have D'Angelo for one year at five million, or do you want to give a shit ton of money to Matt Dumba in free agency? You know, like I, I do think D'Angelo has a lot more value than people are are um, giving him credit for, and he's only twenty seven. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be. It's going to be interesting. I think that, and a lot of people who say just buy him out, like that would be terrible creativity. Fuck, that's even worse. Yeah. yeah. Big time. Yeah. Like, yeah. so. I don't, I, he doesn't have a spot here. You need Adder taking these minutes far more than you need D'Angelo, especially since Adder's a college kid and he's already like 24. You know, you can't really piss away a full another year of his career to try and hope for something more for D'Angelo at the deadline. And that's assuming D'Angelo doesn't fuck up between now and then. This guy goes out there and fucks up, and then his value is going to be absolutely nothing. You know, and he's sitting in the press box all year. It gets bought out again. It's, just, it's dumb. you, know, you got to get rid of this guy this summer. I, 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 it's a no-lose trade. You know, Fletcher played out the, uh, paid out the ass for him. But you know what? Like, it doesn't matter. Even if you don't get the exact uh, thing you bought him for, it doesn't matter. It's a Chuck Fletcher stupid move. Breer's got that built in. 
I don't think he's completely worthless. There's no fuck if nothing else this year. We can argue about Hayes and connecting and Provarv and all that. Whether they do or don't, there is absolutely no reason why D'Angelo should be on this roster to start next season. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's uh, they have some options here. They really have some options to lock in some draft. Picks. If they wanted to sell and go real hard selling, they can absolutely do that. And then just let the prospects run wild next season, which like, would be and, ideal, especially if they're rebuilding. No, exactly. And you have some veterans coming back in Katori and Atkinson. So it's not like you're losing that veteran presence, right? You still got that quote unquote leadership. And it's probably better than whatever the fuck connecting and Proverb are mustering out of these guys right now. Yeah. So, I mean, and then obviously you're going to move on from Kevin Hayes too, which I would imagine is going to be Columbus. And that's another thing that's probably going to bring bring back some kind of draft pick. Like, is it going to be a first? No, but could probably I see six or seven? I'll even like, have a sixth round pick this year, so it'll be either seven. I, I honestly could see like if you get Calgary's third round pick this year. Are they going to for... have to retain half of his goddamn contract to do that? Though I don't know because I think the Flyers are pretty firm on. Five million, like making him a five million dollar player. I'd be fine retaining two, I guess. But I think three and a half sucks. I don't think they'll go there. Um, or I, I, it's weird. They, they don't want to go there. And I do think that Goodrow has more pull there than we realize. So I think that Johnny Goodrow could push the Jack. I want to play so with much. my friend Kevin Hayes. You make this move happen. Exactly. And, you know, he gave them a discount to play there. And, you know, Kevin Hayes had $5 million. Like, I know everyone loves to shit on the guy, but that's a perfectly reasonable salary for him, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. And so, like, you make Kevin Hayes, he's a 50-point centerman. He, I think that he's proven that when he isn't the whipping boy, he could be an effective When he player. wants to play, he can be very, I, 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 you know, 1920 version of Hayes was fucking awesome. You know, he was uh, he was at a very high level, and you know, it was kind of the outlier of his career, I think. But between the personal problems and the injuries, and you know, the butting of heads this season, you know, he's had a rough couple of years here. I think a new era on a new team, playing with somebody that he clearly wants to play with, you know, at a reasonable cap hit. I, I think there's more to to garner out of Kevin Hayes um, than meets the eye. Yeah, so I mean that and it's just a I matter of whether or not you can move his cap in his goddamn flat cap era. And like look, like Columbus has a ton of cap space going to this season in this um this uh summer. I think I think they have I would have to look at so sixteen point eight on uh cap friendly right now. Yeah, so you're gonna bring back Warinsky. I mean, there's a lot of guys that like are RFAs, so that's gonna depend on a lot. I mean Fuck that good Branson deal's bad. <laughs> but uh I, I think that you could maybe pull a third or fourth round pick out of there. Like I remember Jason asked me, he said, like, do you think it would be better for them to retain less and get less or retain more and get more? So mm-hmm. for you, like, would you rather, let's say, make him a five million dollar player and get a fourth round pick, or make him a four and a half million dollar, four million dollar player and get a third round pick? Oh, that's tough, actually. Um, what is the who do we got? We got Tippett, Kate Frost, and York are all RFAs. We probably won't get paid a whole lot. 
heart deal I don't think is going to sting quite as bad as I once thought it did. Um, hopefully the cap goes up at some point in the next fucking year or two, but I still don't... <laughs> you could... Claim, hmm. You know, if they get rid of Connecting and Provera for assets, that opens up a ton of money. If they somehow get rid of Ellis's cap and take that LTIR off the hit, that's a lot of money. Hmm. I guess in an ideal world, you want to retain as little as possible. But in this draft, if it gets you, you know, a third-round pick instead of a fifth-round pick, that may be better in the long run and just deal with the $3.5 million, then that's a tough question. The way that I look at it is, like, if Columbus is willing to give you... I think the only way that I would be willing to... If they're willing to give you their second round pick, I would maybe go 50%. Because then you're getting, what is it, the 34th overall pick? Something like that, yeah. I think then I would be willing to go close to that. Yeah. It, But anything lower than that, like, I mean, I think if they were willing to take them at $5 million, I would do it for a fourth. Yes. If they, I think... That would be a fair one. I think that's probably close to reality. Yeah, like a fourth or maybe Calgary's third because it's later, but not all that much later. But I mean, aside, like, but the higher you go, like, I can't imagine Columbus is willing to give up their, like, LA's first. But if they said, we'll give you our second, which is a high 30 pick, would you give up? or a low 30 pick, whichever, like 34th overall, whatever the fuck it is, would you be willing to go close to 50%? Yeah. I, I do 50% for a second round pick. I think if yeah, you're because... going 5 million and you're keeping, you know, 2 million, uh, I'd settle for a... Th- 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 I, see, I think probably down to 5 million, which is about 2.1 retained, and then a fourth, I think, is probably what ultimately ends up happening. Um you know, maybe a third rounder if you're lucky, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if the, I just think for the Flyers, you want to retain just as little as money as humanly possible on this one, but I don't know what that even boils down to in this day and age with the flat cap and for a team like Columbus, that has a ton of money on the books. Yeah. So like Columbus, it also depends what they're looking for. Like, are they looking to take a big step next year? Cause if they're looking to take a big step next year, maybe they're going to try and get Hayes for as little as possible, move on from a draft pick. Because, like, theoretically, Columbus doesn't need that second-round pick. They have two firsts, two thirds, two fourths. So they could afford to move on from that second-round pick and try and get Hayes at $3.6 million or whatever it is. But then it begs the question, like, would you be just rather, like, even if you say, like, we'll retain $3.1 million, and then give us a third round pick. Like, it's weird how it would go. But, I mean, it's like you said, it really kind of also depends what you're doing with Provom and Konechny and how much cap space you're going to be able to open up long term. Yeah, if they start making moves and selling some of these big time contracts elsewhere, you know, then then you, you buy yourself at least a little bit of time. Um, a little bit of money and time, I suppose, for you know, the next three years that you're going to have to eat this contract. But... Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Hayes. Yeah. So, 
I mean, hmm. <sighs> all right. Well, I guess that's enough hypotheticals. We went a lot longer than I thought, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways this off season could go, and if they really go heavy on the rebuild, there's a lot of things to analyze and a lot of potential roads they can take. And you know, it's about how serious they are with all this, how how much movement happens in reality how much movement can happen in reality given the flat cap and you know what becomes of guys like kevin hayes and can they find proper value for Provrov and konechny and d'angelo and there's a lot of a lot of avenues to explore and what the potential ro- uh, roster can look like next year even the despite the fact that the you know cold hard rumors may not be out there the mind can uh, definitely wander when it comes to what the 23 24 flyers may look like there are I think what we've learned here is that there's a lot of reasons to be trepidatious and there's a lot of <laughs> That's scar- the truth. And there's a lot of scar tissue here that would lend someone to be negative. But there's also a lot of cards they can play here to boost the optimism. And I try and say that as much as possible cuz every I mean, it could work. I feel like nobody ever hears me when I say that part because they always focus on, yeah, I know you're so negative. But you know what? There's a lot of, as you noted, there's a lot of uh, a lot of scar tissue here over the last, you know, 10 years from this organization um, repeatedly failing at whatever goal they set forth. So, you know, you know, Breer coming in here and talking about a rebuild with their complete lack of inexperience as, you know, front office members. Um, definitely a lot of uh, trust that they need to earn from us. And, you know, five weeks from now, we could be sitting here and going, hey, this worked out well. You know, they, they could earn a lot of trust if they do this right this summer. And I just am not giving it to them before I see the uh, the action first. Because even if you don't trade Konechny, hypothetically, and you bring in a second for Tony D'Angelo, a first for Ivan Provorov, and I'm just talking about like maybe the main picks for this year's draft, not overall, because I think that Provorov can maybe net you a third next year or whatever. But if you bring in a first for Provorov, a second for Tony D'Angelo, and let's just split the difference, and a third for Kevin Hayes, that and you open up all that cap room to kind of play around with other moves in season and be able to, you know, take on bad contracts to get draft picks like that all of the sudden it changes a lot, right? Like an extra pick in each round. Yeah. And like, that's all I'm asking for, you know, that, that would be establishing a rebuild that is taking a foot forward and committing. Yes. You're committing towards the goal you set forth. And, like, at the absolute friggin' bare minimum, that is what I'm asking for this summer. Now, granted, I'm not going to be happy if Konechny's still here, but the overall picture of what they do, um, committing towards a rebuild, committing towards a plan, would be a significantly big step for this organization, considering they have not done that at all, dating back to old Ron Hextall. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that you could do these things. You know, would, like, would St. Louis be opposed to you know, moving pro getting Provrov in and trading, you know, Scandella a first and a third for him. Like, I think that's a fair trade for them. You know, you look at Tony D'Angelo, like Seattle, I don't know why I looked at them. It just makes sense because of how structured they are. And they do. And I think aside from, oh no, they have Adam Larson as well. But like, I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm kind of like, Again, this is all like assuming that they're able to pull off these deals, but like a f- imagine having 
two first round picks, three third round picks, and a second round pick. Like that changes a lot in this year's draft. Yeah, it would be uh, significantly more ideal to load up on a deep draft this year and hope for the best than you know necessarily recouping assets in the future. You know, and the second round picks that are gone in the past and. Uh, and you know, in 2024, in a draft that is not projected to be as deep, you know, I think loading up this is this is hey, listen, if there was ever a year to load up on draft picks, this is the year to do it. So, um, hopefully they, uh, hopefully they do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure as we get closer to the draft and you know get through the uh, Stanley Cup final, which just seems like is never going to start ever, I'm sure <laughs> things will start picking up. Yeah, hopefully we'll get some more news, and uh, I guess we'll call it a day here. An hour and a half, for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, recorded a show with Nick last night. That'll go up Sunday, I think. And uh, plenty of shit up on the website, brotherlypuck.com. You can check that out. At Dan the Flyer Fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. And Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Demarco 25 All right, everyone. Until next time, goodbye and good night!